90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Pretty good. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> no grading's happening, so that's always good. Exactly. My classes are over, which was great because yesterday when we woke up and we're getting ready for school, my son is like, man, only nine more days until, you know, two-week break. And I was like, today's my last day of class, and I don't go back till the 24th. And he was not amused and did not speak to me for quite some time. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, I can tell that everybody's done because like in a 48-hour period, we got so many emails from customers about like, you know, want to check in on this or we need want to start <laughs> this project. And it was because everybody finished teaching. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Uh yeah, I'm I'm also excited because I'm gonna go to AGU and I haven't been to a conference in, you know, two years. So yay. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm bummed I'm not going to be able to be there uh, with you, but mm -hmm. maybe maybe next year. So AGU okay. is coming up in what a week? Yes, yeah, it's next week. Yep, I'm gonna I'm gonna drive down to New Orleans um, because because I like to drive. Really, that's it. I want to listen to my books on tape, and uh, yeah. So I don't know if I'm actually more excited about the conference or more excited about being alone in the car for 11 hours. <laughs> Fair, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of my favorite thing. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Real stoked. Well, so, yeah. awesome. So are you going to report, uh, you know, live from the conference floor? <laughs> That's right. I'm going to do that, but it's just going to be like background, you know, white noise on the computer and I'll be in my Airbnb probably. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> on the 10 Zoom meetings I inexplicably have next week. So, yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. My uh, road podcaster will be traveling with me. Yeah, yeah. <gasps> Maybe I'll take my travel cowbell. Ooh, there you go. Mm -hmm. We can have stereo cowbells. I like it. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to add it to my list. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. How's it? Uh, how's it been going with you? Pretty good. It's uh, you know, we had a abnormally warm weekend again mm -hmm. which was great and then this week has been frigid <laughs> oh my gosh yeah mm -hmm. uh so i'm not looking forward to that but the weekend's supposed to warm up again uh i've been yes. i've been spending a lot of time working on my electric cart thing my, <laughs> my electric flatbed go-kart <laughs> i showed that to my john and he was like oh that's a cute little cushman <laughs> Yeah, so I've decided it's got, you know, it's had enough abuse over the years, and <laughs> it, it's rough enough that I didn't think I could paint it and make it look good with, you know, like a car paint job. Right. Uh, so I'm just going to cover the whole thing in bed liner. Oh, that's even better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you going to do a fun color, or are you just going to black rhino line it? Orange, man. There is no yes. other color. <laughs> This is fantastic. <laughs> orange is the only color there should be, so no, it would be orange. Man, and you graduated from the University of Oklahoma. That is, that is not okay. <laughs> well, yeah, let's talk about your football program. Hey, <laughs> we, 
<laughs> we got Brent back. It's fine. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was great. One of my friends went to, we had a huge, as if you follow sports, you know, we had this huge welcome back party for Brent Venables, our new coach. Um, and <laughs> so my friend goes and she's there freaking out, real excited. And she said that there were these girls next to her that were like, I think he was head coach here before a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, I wanted to correct them, but I didn't want them to know that I was old. So I just sat there and listened. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's been exciting. <laughs> yeah. But I know you don't want to talk about sports ball. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I went to my, my first college sports ball game recently. Wow. Yeah. After That's going it? to school at OU and you, Penn State, I went to you, my first first college football game in uh, 2021. You know, so let's see, uh, five years after I got my PhD. You are kidding me. Nope. Did you go to Arkansas? I did. Okay. At least it was a real a real game. <laughs> yeah, and it was great. We had, uh, we had, it was about eight rows up from the field on the north end zone, so I had great mm-hmm. seats. Yeah, because those seats are available if you go to Arkansas. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Send your hate mail to John. <laughs> uh, whatever. We Look, we're in the so. SEC now. I got to <laughs> I gotta make those jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Suey. Big, big, big. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's record this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, let's go ahead and hit start. All right. Hey, Shannon, how are you? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. So this week we were trying to, you know, come up with a topic for discussion and you were trying to avoid <laughs> writing some reviews <laughs> and apparently trying to avoid a lecture. Both of those things. <laughs> and in this process of shameless shirking of responsibility... <laughs> Uh, we decided to talk about geoengineering. <laughs> it's so true. Um, so I'd like to thank my class for supplying all the <laughs> things we're going to talk about today. <laughs> it's true. So I teach this class, Earth's Past Climate, and I hate how if you're teaching intro geology, usually most of the books have the climate change stuff at the end, and so it always feels like you in the semester on this really big downer. Like everyone comes out and it's like, oh, well, we're all going to die. That was a great class. Right. <laughs> and, and like that drives me insane. And we kind of do the same thing with Earth's past climate because we end in the quaternary here at the Holocene. And I hate that. I don't want to end on that note, you know, because um, Earth's climate's getting warmer. It's happened in the past. It's happening again. The deal is, like, can humans survive it, right? And because <laughs> the earth will survive it. Humans, however, we grew up in an ice age. We might not. So humans being what we are, we've come up with all these strategies to fight back. And we call that geoengineering. And we've alluded to it a lot. Um, and I just thought that we would talk about a few that we wound up talking about in class. And these are just, we'll probably deep dive into all of these, but I decided that I wanted to, I wanted to do some, some normal stuff and some weird stuff just to see how the students did. And they did amazing. And I was so proud of them. 
<laughs> and they set for 45 minutes and then they all gave like five minute presentations. So I thought that we would talk about six of these ideas that we discussed earlier in the week when I was shirking my lecture responsibilities. <laughs> <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I put them in order too, John, in the notes of like normal stuff to crazy stuff. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> okay, I, I see the theme there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm surprised. So, I'm surprised the word Dyson's only halfway up the list, but we'll I get there. Know. <laughs> <laughs> I had a guy that was so excited about that, and I said when I was I was putting my topics up on the board and telling them to get into groups. And I said, man, I don't remember what those things are called. They're from sci-fi where you big the, build the big rings. And he's like, Dyson Spheres. I want to do that one. I said, okay, let's do it. <laughs> so we'll get there. All right. Yeah. But the first one is pretty normal. And it's something that happens naturally already. Yeah. Condensation nuclei and things to reflect light, like aerosols. Mm-hmm. Right. And pumping them up into the atmosphere. Exactly. So um, volcanoes do this already. Volcanoes are really the answer. You know, we always joke heat and gravity. And I always say this in class, so much so that I finally have gotten people to try to derive stuff on the test. <laughs> because <Right. laughs> heat and gravity are generally the answers. But when it comes to climate change, if you don't have any clue, volcanoes are a pretty good guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because they do both. In the short term, volcanoes spew a whole bunch of ash up into the air. And if you have a big enough volcano, you're going to spew it into the stratosphere. And that's important because you want to get out of the troposphere, which is, you know, 10 to 12, 13 kilometers high. You want to get out of there because those aerosols will just eventually come down. Like the water cycle will bring them back down. But if you can get into the stratosphere, stuff can hang out there for a long time. And if you put a bunch of stuff up there, it reflects sunlight and therefore volcanoes act to cool down the climate for a certain amount of time, depending on how much stuff that you can shove up into the stratosphere. Yeah. And when you say, you know, the lower level stuff gets washed out by the water cycle, I mean, that's on the order of days to weeks. Right. Uh, yeah. Stratospheric content is on the order of tens of years. Yes. Uh, maybe maybe even hundreds, depending on where. But I would say tens is pushing it. Yeah. I think if you've got a, a volcano that's like one of those ones that's going to go for a month, you might make a century. But, but it doesn't take long for a large volcano to wreak a lot of havoc. And in fact, you know, the dinosaurs were probably dying already from volcanism before the impactor ever hit the Yucatan Peninsula. Um, because once you start to cool everything down, it only takes a couple of degrees and that will start to affect plants. And if all the herbivores eat plants and the plants start to die because they can't photosynthesize, then, you know, collapse of the food chain. Yeah, the herbivores start to die and then the carnivores find skinnier and skinnier herbivores. <laughs> and, yeah, it, uh, it goes downhill pretty quickly in terms of geologic time. Right. Yeah, exa exactly. And so like, I was trying to, um, they didn't look up, um, look this stuff up because it wasn't really the purview. So it, it, this is a known process, but the geoengineering part is where it gets fun. But I was trying to look up how, how much did Pinatubo cool the earth. So 
the northern hemisphere cooled up to half a degree Celsius. So that's quite a that's quite a lot. That's a reduction in net radiation of four watts per meter squared. Watts per square meter. Sorry, I always say it like that because I think about Boltzmann's constant, right? <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> so that was you know in the early nineties, and it's like half a degree. That's not a joke. So no, no. I mean, half a degree. It doesn't sound like a lot, but that uh, that percentage decrease in insulation is significant when it comes to, like you said, photosynthetic activity, uh, even just, yeah, the whole natural process. I mean, right, a degree yeah. is huge. Half a degree is pretty big. Exactly. And that was for two years. So that was quite a, quite a lot. But the key is getting it up into the stratosphere, like we just said. And so the fun part of the geoengineering comes into how do we get it up there? <laughs> <laughs> right, because you gotta haul a bunch of ash or whatever you're gonna use mm-hmm. yep. up to the stratosphere, and then be able to eject it in some way. Right. <laughs> so, you, I mean, you're looking at 32 miles up, 50 kilometers. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's how do a way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, 50 kilometers is the top. That's the stratopause. Okay, you could go in the right. lower stratosphere. But I mean, you're and, still talking like 12 to 15 kilometers there, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, ozone layer is about, what, 25 kilometers, somewhere in mm-hmm. there? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say to really be very effective, you probably need to get into the mid to upper stratosphere. So that kind of 30 to 50 band. Yeah. So, okay. Can we fly a plane that high? Yeah, about 20 kilometers for everything that's not secret. (laughs) So, okay. So that could get us into the lower stratosphere because obviously one of the things we want to talk about with geoengineering is money, right? Like how much stuff is, how much is this going to cost? Well, exactly. That's that's the key to any engineering project is how much is it going to cost and then plan on a lot more. Right. We can make it happen, but how much do you want to pay? Um, so you could get an aircraft up to the lower parts of the stratosphere and what would they take up there with them? So what we really like for aerosols (laughs) is a lot of like hydrogen sulfides or aluminum oxides. That's what we want to hang out up there because that does a lot of light scattering back. Aluminum sulfide. It's, it's atmospheric deodorant. (laughs) Um, I mean, kind of, (laughs) you could also use salt or just like powdered limestone, but I mean, you're going to have to, this is really interesting. So 10 metric tons of aerosol distributed over 2,500 kilometer flight path during a four hour flight. It would take 1 million flights to get to something approximating enough aerosol that it would start to cool stuff down that's a lot of jet fuel (laughs) exactly (laughs) and while you're burning that jet fuel you're pumping out a lot of co2 (laughs) Mm -hmm. yes exactly um you could run I, i thought this was interesting too you could run dirty fuel and um that has a lot of sulfur in it so you're sort of adding to the payload you already have so there's that um but if you want to cool down 
by one degree C, which we've already surpassed, you know, the, hey, we might only warm up, you know, a couple of degrees. If you want to cool down by one degree C, it's $18 billion a year. And once you start, you can't stop. You can't stop. Not even a little bit. So you can't stop. So the airplane, they're just going to have to keep coming. And this comes to the second one, which is my favorite. And all of these, like, students found drawings of these proposed things online, which blows my mind. So one idea, since we have to continually do this, is we send something that's used to being up in the stratosphere, and we're going to send a balloon up. Carrying a big fire hose of deodorant. <laughs> like a 20-kilometer tube. <laughs> and the system that you would need to run the pump to overcome that hydrostatic head <laughs> would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a series of tubes. <laughs> right. I mean, I don't know what the what the density of some of these powders are, but you know, let, let's go with we're going to pump rock chips. Mhm. Yeah. Because that's something we know the density of because we're geologists and geophysicists mm-hmm. and not metallurgists. <laughs> you know. Okay, so you've got row of let's be conservative let's say five grams per cc okay okay rho g h is dpdz right this Mm -hmm. hydrostatic equation Mm -hmm. okay so we need to go to si so that's five (laughs) thousand kilograms per cubic meter Okay, so 5,000 kilograms per cubic meter times gravity, which for our purposes, we're going to call 10 meters per second per Mm -hmm. second because that's close enough. Um, (laughs) For government work. Which is what this would be. Yep. Okay, so that's rho G and then H, which we said was going to be, I don't know, what do you want to shoot for? 30 kilometers? Uh, I mean, you can shoot conservative. Do 20. Do just, do 20. 20 kilometers. Okay, so that is, oh man, thanks, um, one billion pascals. <laughs> so let me convert that into uh, to Yankee units here. When you have to pause to count the number of zeros. <laughs> right. So that's 145,000 PSI of head. And that's just to support the column. Yeah, not even to spew it out. Not even to spew it out. Oh, so you're looking God. at a quarter of a million PSI pump here oh, for rock. That's amazing. You're going to have to burn a lot of dead dinosaurs to power that pump. So much. So, you know, uh, I don't know if that's going to offset is all I'm going to say. <laughs> right. Uh, and it's so great because this picture... Of this, just shows this ship with a big hose, some, and a balloon, and a little dotted line that shows the stratosphere. But if this were to scale the desert island that these <laughs> this ship is docked off of, that palm tree's got to be ten kilometers high. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's it makes a nimble it look palm like, tree. <laughs> it just makes it look like this is a great thing. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh. Yeah, no, this would be a massive undertaking mechanically. 
Yes, yes. So the cost of that's <laughs> not to outrageous. mention. Yeah, it's just <laughs> so so many levels. <laughs> and, and remember, this is the most feasible one of these things we're going to talk about. Oh well, maybe second most feasible, but yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but I love when okay they thought maybe that's too expensive. And so we went and we asked toddlers how they would get stuff into the stratosphere. And they said big guns. <laughs> Sounds like the military solution. Exactly. <laughs> and we'll talk about, <clears throat> yes, men making. Climate is the enemy. Let's shoot it. Yeah. Men making idiotic decisions in the fun paper, actually. <laughs> so <laughs> this picture of this ridiculous gun that just shoots into the stratosphere is amazing. <laughs> But also, again, we could calculate the <laughs> kinetic energy required to get a projectile to crest at, let's say, 20 kilometers. <laughs> and I won't make you listen to me do math again, but it's, it's a lot of gunpowder. Oh, my God. So it's really funny because they said that the aluminum oxide that you're shooting up there is only two and a half million dollars, but it's a hundred billion dollars for the the big gun. <laughs> right. <clears throat> okay. So really, even though, like you just said, John, this one is very feasible because it's a process that already happens. Well, you got to keep doing it. You can't stop. And also it's probably cost prohibitive. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it, it, they got into even more detail, which is very interesting about how you'd have to shoot it more in other places because you may cause some, weather phenomenon you weren't expecting. <laughs> and so mobilization of, you know, regional mega guns <laughs> might be cost prohibitive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you would be introducing a ton of CCNs into the lower atmosphere. Right. Yeah, from all even this if you are. Yeah, even if you are shooting it up there, everything that goes with getting it up there. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's aerosol injection. <laughs> okay, so that one might not work. And if we... <laughs> If we can't bomb the atmosphere, what about the ocean? <laughs> um, so we bomb the ocean quite a bit. And the best thing about this presentation is that, I don't know if you're viewing this in the PowerPoint, but <laughs> the background of the title slide is a movie. It's bubbles in the ocean and it's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that captured everyone's like attention more than anything. <laughs> so, so when you go to like present this, these little bubbles come up. It was really good. <laughs> okay. So they distracted you with a, a little animation. Absolutely. Um, and so again, this one is also kind of a natural process, right? As, as soon as you get more nutrients, you start to stimulate what we'd call the biological pump. And so the biological pump is responsible for sequestering a lot of CO2 naturally, right? And that pump is all those little phytoplankton, those little creepy animal plant things <laughs> that swim in the upper part, the photic zone. Um, so if you go swimming and you open your mouth in the ocean, you have all these phytoplankton in your mouth and it creeps me out to think about. Uh, <laughs> But those things are photosynthetic organisms. And so they actually draw down a lot of CO2. And this is one of the main mechanisms for transferring CO2 from the atmosphere to the ocean. And the ocean is the largest carbon sink that we have. Um, and then as those things die, they have all the CO2 in them because that's what they're using for their energy. 
And that eventually gets um, taken down to the very bottom and turned into rocks. So this is, this biological pump is great. So how can we pump up the volume, if you will, <laughs> of this photosynthetic activity? And the idea is you just feed them more. Yeah. So fertilizer. Yeah. You, you, you spray the equivalent of miracle Grove for plankton. Yes. Mm-hmm. But what does that wind up doing? It winds up creating these algal blooms, which I don't know if you remember living in Oklahoma. These are bad news for the lakes. <laughs> uh, yes, they are. <laughs> yeah. So now you've got all these photosynthetic organisms, which is great. But is that really what you want? Well, you can... <laughs> You can start going all kinds of weird geochemical chemical things to your water. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can actually make the environment not conducive <laughs> anymore. And you get a, a large dying off of these things. Right. And it's like, you know, things are going to come up and eat them. And so that'll be fine. But yeah, we don't know. There's these things that we talk about in climate science called tipping points. <laughs> And so what's scary is, is there, is there a tipping point where you go too far and you've got all these massive algal blooms and at some point you go too far and you like kill everything below it or you change the chemistry irreversibly and cause this big mass die off. We don't know, but this one dude said he did. <laughs> and said, I have enough money to buy a boat and go spray iron off the back. Yeah. I mean, you remember this guy, right? Russ George? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember when yeah. this happened. Yeah. And everybody was debating, you know, is this a, a scientist? Is this a patriot? Or is this an eco-terrorist? <laughs> exactly. I love the word rogue geoengineer. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. That and one so will this make is... it into the comic books. <laughs> uh, they made this dude's face the background of a slide, which was also really funny because it was projected on a huge screen. <laughs> Yeah, it's like the Guy Fury of geoengineering. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, this is this dude has done this, but he won't give up any of the data, if there even is data, which I doubt. So, well, he didn't get very far before he got stopped. Right. Exactly. Um, but I mean, there are serious there are serious proposals out there to do this. You know, he got he got a lot of money from like NASA or something. I think too. That don't quote me on that. That's just my recollection. Recollection of this. Nobody's listening to this. So. Great. <laughs> so, Russ George and ocean fertilization. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, we the atmosphere didn't work. The ocean. We don't know if it worked, but it could make things much, much worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we tried above, we tried below. What can we do to the surface of the earth? <laughs> so now this one is also something. This is the last one of the ones that are like real things. Um, <laughs> increased weathering, which seems really weird that that's a way to draw down CO2. But it's probably one of the most efficient and causes the most drawdown in Earth's history in terms of processes that put us into ice ages. Right. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it's it's counterintuitive, I would say, that increasing weathering 
can solve the problem here. I know. Isn't it weird? <laughs> right. So if you weather a silicate, mm-hmm. you get calcium and eventually you get a you form a carbonate rock. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that carbonate rock is holding carbon. Right. So you've got a silicate and you cause it to be weathered and eventually you're sequestering carbon in rocks, which happens now anyway. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. So that's the uh, that's the whole point is that you're liberating these anions and cations from hopefully in real life, not in a geoengineering situation, where this comes from are high elevations because the earth doesn't like pointy things, right? It's going to weather those areas faster. So times in earth's history where we have lots of mountain building, generally that mountain building leads to some sort of ice age or cool down because there are so many high elevation rocks that are getting weathered. The earth's trying to get back to that nice, smooth, bumpy geoid. That you love so much. (laughs) Some girl brought this up and, well, we'll get back to that geoid (laughs) in the next one, actually. (laughs) Um, Like I said, this was my favorite class of the whole semester, not just because I didn't have to do any work. but. (laughs) And so we're, I mean, how feasible is it to just weather a bunch of silicate rock? Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, it happens all the time, but what we need to do is speed it up, right? And so what, what kind of rocks are we talking about? Like basalts, basically. You want mafic rocks? If you could get ultramafic rocks, that'd be even better, but there aren't a ton of ultramafic rocks at the surface, but we do have a lot of basalts. And so it's essentially like what you would do to make cement. You mine all these rocks, you grind them up as tiny as they can go, and you basically just dump them. <laughs> Like, that's it. <laughs> yeah, so you increase their surface area, so you get right. uh, higher reaction rates. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so so we need, to, we need to go mine all of these basalts. We need to grind up the national monuments that have basalt. <laughs> Which, I mean, we have, so we've had in Earth's past large igneous provinces that we call lips, which are just thousands and hundreds of thousands, no exaggeration, square kilometers of basalts that are miles thick. So we've got the basalt here at the surface to do this. The problem is that process, similar to making concrete, is going to give off a lot of CO2. Yeah. I mean, mining happens with with uh, electric, hydraulic, and petroleum-powered tools. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's a big problem. I mean, the pros of this is that it works. Like, it works really well. This is one of the main things. You know, we can talk about all the things that affect climate, like orbital configurations and, you know, location of continents. But really, this is the big one, is the weathering of silicate rocks. So that's really good. And where we spread it doesn't really matter because all those cations that we've released and anions, it's all nutrients for the soil. And so we also store a lot of CO2 in the soil. So that will only help all the things that live there. 
store even more stuff. So that's great. That consume CO2. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, this would work best in tropical locations. And this is where, this is my favorite part to teach when we talk about like plate tectonics and the Hadley cells and the feral cells and how the atmosphere works. <laughs> because if you have a lot of plate of continental mass at the equator, you know, that's where you're getting a lot of rain and weathering. And so this is the best place to do this is to stick all this stuff at the equator because you're going to increase your weathering rates there. Yeah. Warm temperatures, increase reaction rates, flowing water, ex- continually exposing new surfaces. Yeah. No, it'd mm-hmm. be a perfect place. The other thing that we can do, which is really cool, is that we can use a lot of things that we make as these products too. We don't just need basalts. We could do this with iron or steel or cement itself actually. Um, So we could do less mining by just reprocessing the things we already have and spreading those out too. Yeah. The interesting con to this, and this is actually really cheap. Like this is the cheapest one to do. Yeah. I mean, Um, rock crushers and cement. (laughs) Yeah. No big deal. Um, The things that are cheaper would be like reforestation, but that takes a long time. This is... This eventually takes a long time too, but on a large enough scale. What I thought was really interesting is they brought up a con that maybe by adding all this stuff, you cause the opposite problem we have now. Now CO2 is in the water, the ocean, and it's causing ocean acidification because CO2 and H2O yields carbonic acid. But if you put all this in the oceans, you could actually bring up the pH too much. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. So that's not good. (laughs) I mean, that's just as, that's just as detrimental to things living in the ocean as acidifying it. Um, Yeah. I mean, you you stick your hand in battery acid or you stick your hand in lye. uh, They're Uh both going to end poorly. Yeah. Both going to (laughs) hurt. So that sucks. (laughs) Um, But the, the cost to capture two to 4 billion metric tons of CO2, right? So two to four gigatons per year. Um, it's not bad. It's only about $200 per ton. Yeah, that's... At the high end. Totally reasonable. Mm-hmm. Not like $21 billion for a 20-kilometer hose. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So that's uh, that's those things. <laughs> But we have more interesting things. And I don't know, John, we can always leave the weird ones until next week. We can leave this on a cliffhanger. You know, I think we should. I think we should, too. I I don't want to to rush through them and (laughs) just immediately dismiss them. I want to thoroughly back the envelope, disprove them. Yes, that's what I was really hoping. And I want to give you some more chance to... um, yeah, look up the fifth one because I found that one was the weirdest thing. And I would definitely like to do a little bit more of my own research about this. <laughs> uh, yes. But before we go to the, the cliffhanger, I'll leave you with this uh, clip of a commercial from the 1970s for uh, chiffon margarine butter. <laughs> On stick margarine? Right, Chiffon fooled you. It's not nice to fool Mother Nature. If you think it's butter, but it's not, it's Chiffon. It's amazing.
and terrifying. <laughs> Dude, that's crazy. Mother Nature sicks a elephant on <laughs> on margarine because it, it, it tasted it's, like butter. It tasted like butter. Oh my gosh. That I'm gonna try to perfect that face. That was super scary. <laughs> yeah. Um, excellent. I think that is an excellent thing to take Mother Nature's wisdom and move into um the opposite. <laughs> and that means it's time for <laughs> Fun Paper Friday. Yay! So I think that every December we should only do BMJ Christmas stories. I'm I'm okay with it. Yeah, and we're gonna call them Christmas stories, not not Christmas <laughs> scientific research articles. Uh, um I was really shocked that we hadn't done this one before. <laughs> Especially because it's from 2014. It's been out a while. I know. And so I searched every possible keyword. And so my apologies if we actually have, but I looked through. So, so your search three history pages. is pretty interesting right now. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> um, how many times have we said the word idiot in our, let me tell you, three pages worth in our podcast? <laughs> so this uh, Christmas BMJ from 2014 is by. Um, <laughs> Uh, let's see. This is hard. Ben Alexander Daniel Lindrum <laughs> at all. And it is the Darwin Awards Sex Differences in Idiotic Behavior. Right. And if you're new to the Christmas issue, the British Medical Journal or BMJ publishes these. It, it's it's a goldmine for us. It's oh, yes. a whole issue of fun papers every year. <laughs> it, it is. It's two whole weeks. They do two issues of them. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this one is an oldie, but I thought it was a goodie, mostly because I feel like they're making fun of MIT a lot, which is... <laughs> I read so much of this out loud <laughs> to my wife. Oh, so <laughs> that makes me happy. Uh, the whole point is that if you're looking, it's a well-documented phenomenon that dudes go to the hospital more... <laughs> <laughs> and are more likely to die from like significant car crashes and admitted with, you know, sporting injuries and things like this. But the point in the idiotic, idiotic behavior is, you know, there's that meme, right? Dude, hold my beer. <laughs> how, how many dudes die from this? Well, and is it more males and females? And I have to, this is my favorite paragraph in the whole paper. It's short. So we're talking about in the introduction, you know, <laughs> we're not talking about accidents here. Like you're not just in, right. a, in a car accident because you were speeding. Right. Yes. So what is an idiotic risk? <laughs> so this is the definition of idiotic risk. However, there is a class of risk, the idiotic risk, that is qualitatively different from those associated with, say, contact sports or adventure pursuits such as parachuting. Idiotic risks are defined as senseless risks where the apparent payoff is negligible or non-existent, and the outcome is often extremely negative and often final. <laughs> I had to read that twice. I was like, often fatal? Oh, final. <laughs> that sounds way worse. <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me of there's a episode of Car Talk 
where they they had debated whether two people could know less than one. Oh my gosh. Because somebody called in asking about, I think it was like electric brakes on a cattle trailer. And these are two guys in Boston that haven't even seen a cattle trailer. <laughs> and they're like, well, we can tell you what's wrong if you tell us how electric brakes work. And so they were trying to, after this, they were trying to decide if two people can know less than than one person. <laughs> and this listener wrote in this very eloquent letter uh, that, you know, it's like the, the give and take, the, and I'll, I'll just have to try to find the, the clip and link it. But it was this very elegant letter to ultimately say that, yes, indeed, they have unequivocally proved two people can know less than one. <laughs> and this is often the case, uh, as they point out in the paper, when you get a group of men or men and alcohol together and they start being affected by the male idiot theory, or MIT. The <laughs> MIT, all capitalized as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> that was also studied my at that f- school down the road. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, oh, I love that there are just these complete. They're like, for instance, and they just throw out like their favorite Darwin Award. Um, nominees. So that's what you had to have been. So they said, you know, where's the best thing to look at this? Well, the Darwin Award, because we're talking about idiotic behavior that removes you from the gene pool, right? That's one of the that's one of the criterias for the Darwin Award, right? A astounding misapplication of common sense. And these have to be verified. Um, and they have to be done by Otherwise, people of sound judgment and the candidate must cause his or her own demise. And so they looked at these Darwin Award nominate, nominees and did the statistical analysis on how many were men and how many were women. Well, and th- there's another great sentence in here. It says, to qualify, nominees must improve the gene pool by eliminating themselves from the human race using astoundingly <laughs> stupid methods. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of examples in there that I won't read on here, but you should definitely take a look at this free, accessible uh, paper. So the too. words autoerotic device are mentioned yeah. in the same sentence as a belt sander. <laughs> yep. So, so, yeah. <laughs> followed by staple gun. So, there's your teaser. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Um, I was really impressed. I mean, the statistics on this do not lie. Yeah, so unlike any other study of biological or psychological sciences we've ever talked about on here, the p-value is less than point zero 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 one. Point oh one. so that's a 99.99%. confidence interval here oh my gosh that yes indeed if you win a darwin award you are very likely to be male yeah i mean wow they (laughs) so i was actually also impressed that the 413 they were looking at there's 332 that were verified 14 were shared by couples (laughs) wow (laughs) Whoa. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, that's the, those are not elucidated in the paper, but I'll certainly be looking that up. Um of the 318 cases left, 282 
were awarded to males and just 36 given to females. <laughs> so in the discussion, they say, well, let's do a real analysis of this. Is there a chance that there is sampling bias or <laughs> that women are more likely to nominate men? I don't think there's any way of that because, you know, dude hold my beer. Like, I would think that somebody's buddies would nominate him right away. <laughs> I I tend to agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I will say that I once got in a pretty good bike accident that ended up with me having grease marks from my chain ring all over my helmet <laughs> because I endowed. <laughs> And the bike <laughs> ran over my body. <laughs> and this lady found me. Uh, this was on a university campus, by the way. I worked at a hospital. <laughs> and I was going home. And I hit this route when I was pretend mountain biking. And this happened. And so this woman who was like walking to class, clearly a professor or something. She goes, oh, my God, are you okay? And the first words out of my mouth, instead of yes or oh, you know, I said, did that look cool? <laughs> <laughs> and she just in disgust walked away. <laughs> so I'm just saying, yeah, <laughs> I might die and get a terminal award. <clears throat> yep. <laughs> nice. So, so yeah. Mm-hmm. They yeah. do try to decide does alcohol play a role, but unfortunately there's not enough data. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To do a statistically yeah. valid test. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And plus, like, alcohol does the same thing to women, so I don't know. <laughs> and they ultimately decide it's more of a bragging rights thing that mm-hmm. men care and women generally don't. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. And this is where I clearly have more testosterone or whatever that lies in because I am 100% motivated by this. Maybe it's because I have three older brothers, right? So I would definitely respond to, I bet you can't do that. And I'll say, oh yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just saying I need to be in the statistical pool. That's right. <laughs> so it says until MIT gives us a full and satisfactory explanation of idiotic male behavior, hospital emergency par- departments will continue to pick up the pieces, often literally. Uh, we believe uh, MIT deserves further investigation, and with the festive season upon us, we intend to follow up with observational field studies and an experimental study, males and females, with and without alcohol, in a semi-naturalistic Christmas party setting. <laughs> Oh, man. <clears throat> so I don't know if the follow-up ever came out, but. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, Ben, you got to get on that. Absolutely. I do love that there is one figure in this paper, and it's just an Excel histogram. <laughs> right. <laughs> Males and females winning the Darwin Award. <laughs> That's lovely. Yep. So Yeah. So. <laughs> If uh, if you've got your own statistical evidence to add to this, uh, you know maybe with and without <laughs> alcohol at Christmas parties or whichever one of these tests you would like to perform, we would love to see that data, preferably with uh, video supplements. <laughs> uh, that would be great, <laughs> along with your full statistical test, chi squared, students t, uh, and so on. You know, We've got to be reasonably rigorous here. That's exactly uh, Shannon, right. 
How can folks send that in? <laughs> Please. Show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. We're on Twitter at don'tpanicgeo. I am at Shannon Doolin. John is at geo underscore Lehman. Um, I'm sure we can get a rousing <laughs> discussion going in the Slack chat room, the Software Underground, the Don't Panic channel. And as always, thank you to our Patreon supporters. If you would like to support us on Patreon, you may do so. Patreon.com slash don'tpanicgeo. Until next week, remember, don't be an idiot. (laughs) And if you're a guy, you probably will be, statistically speaking. (laughs) (laughs) But it's still not an exact science. (laughs) Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies. 